Hello everybody, I am Peter Travers and welcome to Popcorn where we tell you what's popping in the whole culture. And my guess is that you're going to be tuning into Netflix and watching Luke Cage because my guest Mike Coulter, who plays Luke Cage, uh, is telling me that there are 13 episodes and that I am telling him that I know people that will watch it all. Are you going to do that too? Is that how you're going to spend oh, a Friday night? my Friday night. Mm -hmm. Oh God. 13 I, hours of you. It would be weird to spend 13 hours of watching something I, I actually was in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take my time. I, I, I hope everyone binges it, like you said, as soon as possible. But I'm probably going to nurture and, and, and take it like a fine wine and sip it. You know, I'll, I'll get to an episode here and there. And Boy, that whole fine wine analogy yeah. for uh, the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't know if that's fitting. I know, it's not you fitting. Know? Should it be a stout beer? <laughs> it should be something. It's slowly. just a little more. A happening. little more. Well, before I start geeking out with mm -hmm. you over the whole Marvel Universe and where Luke fits in, let's tell those poor benighted souls that mm -hmm. are out there that have no idea None. what this is. Luke who? Well, Luke, well... You, you sure know, it's not Nick Cage? And I know. Didn't he you, borrow you, that You name? get that sometimes. People yeah. are like, they're just like, aren't you doing that, uh, that, that Nick Cage? And no, that's <laughs> Luke Cage. But, you know, I get it. Nick Cage has been around for a long time, and he's a very popular guy. Um, <laughs> we're trying to correct that, so hopefully people will start calling him Luke Cage. <laughs> you know, that's what we want. We want people to walk that to him. Hey, I love your work, Luke Cage. Cage? I'm like, what? I'm, I'm Nick Cage. He wouldn't care. He lives for superheroes. This is true, and he did change his name because of the character. Because of that, yeah. Um, you know, Luke Cage is a, is a show that if you're not a superhero fanatic, that's okay. This show is designed for people who just like good dramas complex characters that we're trying to tell in a 13 episode format that allows you to explore this character who was put into prison, wrongly convicted, experimented on illegally. They always experiment. They always, well, well, you're in prison. I mean, you're kind of a guinea pig. <laughs> I guess it is. Just they can do anything they want. I mean, yeah. I'm surprised they don't do anything other things, but you know, they experimentation seems to be the popular thing. <laughs> and it never quite works. It never, it always goes wrong. <laughs> Somebody does. always comes in in the middle of it. That's it it's yeah. like, everything's going fine. And someone comes and in, then boom, pulls I'm a sorry. plug or kicks something over. I got a call. I got a call. Just, leaves yeah. them in too long, like the <laughs> oven. It's like, that's oh, right. sorry, two minutes too it's long. All over. And, and you know, that's what happens. Everything goes awry. He, he has these powers and these abilities, and then he uses them to escape. Of course, one would. I mean, you escape, and then you Be go. the first thing I That's would. That's the first thing I'd do. Um, get some clothes and then escape. Um, <laughs> so he escapes, and he goes into, into hiding under a, an alias, which is Luke Cage. Um, his real name um, is uh, Carl Lucas. And basically, he is there trying to put his life back together. And, of course, he finds trouble in Harlem. He's laying low. It's like an, we, we'd be fashioning. We said it's a... It's a, it's a hip-hop western, and that's like, you know, it's a great description for it because it's a guy who goes into town. He has no, no one knows who he is. It's the man with no name, and it's an established bad guy, and the townspeople find out he has these abilities, and they're like, could you help us? And he's like, I don't want to help you because I got my own problems, and I'm just passing through, and eventually things happen, and he has to get involved, and he has to help the community. That sounds so simple. Yeah, oh, and he's and yet, also bulletproof. He's he has super strength also, and all that stuff. That. By the way, by the way, he's unbreakable skin, super strength, endurance, cold, heat, and yeah, all that stuff. And then sociologically, excuse mm -hmm. the big words here, yeah. but I've got to bring it up because here you are, a black man mm -hmm. in Harlem, which plays a central role in this series. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Who's bulletproof? Who's bulletproof? Conveniently so. so. I could think of a lot of people that wish they had that, that power. Yeah, it, it's something that, you know, while we were making, we kind of felt like we might have been not onto something because let's remember the, cap, the character was established in 1972. 
it was done at a time where I don't think the you know people were aware of what was going on in the world, and now we have these iPhones and video cameras, and everybody's kind of recording stuff, and so everyone's seeing things in society now that they're going, this is eye popping, and I didn't realize what was going on. So right now it's kind of a hot topic. It's one of those things where if you look at the news and you look at Luke Cage and what the, what the trailer looks like, you're going to be in, intrigued because. Yeah, this is a timely, timely topic. Luke Cage, we're not trying to be, you know, political or politicize this whole thing because Marvel is first and foremost an entertainment vehicle. But it's just one of those things you can't help but touch upon some things that are really, you know, resonating with people. So uh, you're right. I don't think when in the 70s people were thinking that way. But while you're shooting this whole series, are you thinking? Well, we tried not to. I tried not to think about it because it's such a weird thing to try to create something that is a global that you look at as hopefully a globally successful show that will cross boundaries and, and, and color lines and people of all shapes and sizes and colors will enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're telling a story that is interest, interesting and intriguing, in order for it to be um, intriguing, you have to be authentic. And I think you have to always pay, you know, pay attention to the detail. So when you're telling a story, it has to be specific. And this is a story about a, a black man who happens to be a person with super abilities and also happens to be wearing a guy wearing a hoodie because it, it keeps his face so the whole, the whole Trayvon thing Martin thing has got to Martin be brought thing up pops up and it kind of makes people think like if this were the case where would the society be today and, and if we had a guy like that because people I think innately are good and they want to do good things so the reason we love superheroes is because we go if I had that power yeah I would help mankind or I would help people and this is what makes people really get connected to these characters but what I really like about this when you watch it, it's not really for me till episode three where that incredible fight goes on. Yeah. And Wu-Tang Clan, it, everything is happening. Mm, yeah. But it's character-based. Yeah, yeah. You may have those powers, but you don't want to use them at all. No, and that's the thing about it. I mean, I think anybody who looks at, uh, I think what, Everyone likes a bit of humility in most people. Some people don't have any, mm-hmm. but I think people are genuinely um, connected to that because we would like to think that if you have something special and you're gifted, there's the part of you that won't rub it in people's faces. You know, if Luke was walking around just bending, you know, crowbars and, you know, picking up cars and just showing off, people would be like, this guy's really too much. He's annoying me. I mean, seriously. He's but it's irresistible up, if you had it. If you had it, yeah, I know. It's like a nice party <laughs> trick. It's like yeah, you get a couple really. of drinks and you're just like, okay, come come outside. I'm going to go watch me, watch me turn over the Chevy, you know. <laughs> it, it's fun. But Luke is low-key. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want all the attention that comes with these kind of powers because in society, people think he's a freak, you know. He's a freak. And he, ultimately, he knows, like, big picture, it's better for him to just live, live a normal life. But we, as viewers, can't wait for him to come above the radar. Well, what happens, right he has to own up to who he is at some point. You know, he gets into the fray, he stands up, and, and, he, and he makes his presence felt. And like he knew, you know, every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. And there are collateral, there's collateral, collateral damage. So when he makes this move, now all of a sudden he's got a, a, a sort of a small war in his hands. And he's equipped to deal with this, but the people around him aren't necessarily equipped to deal with this. So that's what he's concerned about. And once you, it's almost like, it's almost like once you take up that mantle of the superhero thing, people start coming at you. And so, listen, he doesn't have a mask. He's not like Daredevil. He doesn't have a mask. He doesn't have like a detective agency. He doesn't have any formal um, business. This is just him. He's just walking around town. People know who he is. They come up to him. And that's another aspect of, this, of the series, like dealing with that, that mini celebrity thing. Is like, okay, you're yeah. Luke Cage. You could do all these things. 
I need you to do this for me. I need you to help me out. And so now he, he's become that guy that people come to for help. Did that time you were on Jessica Jones prep you for getting into this? Getting into, you know, it was. It does. It's like breaking the ice. You know, the, the dam. The dam has been broken now. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, being the superhero that's supposed to be, you know, a ladies' man and supposed to be kind of, you know, effortlessly, you know fall into bed with women it's it's a little bit of a departure you know it's it's very difficult to understand how this world works for a guy like him but you know it's kind of like a training thing and so we went through the thing with Jessica he's been introduced to this world and so as an actor you kind of have to fall into it because this is what's expected of you this is Luke Cage this is who he is when did you think I understand this guy I'm playing Luke Cage. probably I think I got him probably somewhere oddly enough in one of the bedroom scenes, not during the action. And, and, Another and heartbreak Jessica Jones. for Jessica Jones. No, no yeah. during Although Jessica Although it was Jones. her. It was her. Yeah. In, this, in some of the scenes with her, in the bed, some of the silences and some of the things that, some of the exchanges between our characters really clued me into who he was because he's one of these guys, you know, you have a guy who's got this, you know, he's super strength and he's got this, you know, he has this confidence and air about him. But it takes a real strong, confident man to be, not only support to a female who is the primary character, but also the lead in, in, in the storyline, but to kind of be a nurturing and not to try and overwhelm them because of the male ego. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's difficult to be just there and to exist in that supportive role without feeling insecure. And so sometimes guys who are not comfortable with themselves, and that's not Luke. Luke was okay with that. Mm-hmm. He knew that she could kind of handle herself, but if she needed him, he was there. He was going to be there. And he was able to allow her to share as much as she wanted to share or share as little as she wanted to share and just be that person in her life, that rock and stuff like that. So it's one of those things that the the less is more kind of approach where you sometimes you learn more by listening and sometimes being a support mechanism than you would as a leadership, you know, in a leadership role. It's very important. Well, he's a lot of things. Yeah. And we're going to see, I think, after this is a third series, and then we're going to get Iron Fist, mm. and then we're getting the Defenders. The Defenders, the culmination of all of these characters coming together and trying to work together. So the Defenders are kind of the New York street version, version of, of the, the Avengers. Avengers. Yeah, low, 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 low street level guys who just deal with the neighborhood. They're dealing that's with right. everything just on a, this na- just the neighborhood. Everything that things are flying around and, you know, blowing up buildings. That's not them. They just deal with their neighborhood, you know. The people come to them and they can touch them. They know how to find them. They know where they can where they can locate these guys. And we're kind of like, you know, it's like we're connected to the big Marvel universe and that's a cool thing. It's like there's references like, you know, the 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 incident. They talked about it in some of the other um series like the incident, the thing that happened in the, the city, incident, the yeah. incident. <laughs> and obviously the big green guy, that kind of stuff. We make those kind of references and and I'm not sure how they talk about, you know, Captain America whether they mention him, but those are references. So we're in the same world and it's kind of cool because it's like you know, like be, it's like being in Hollywood, and people think, well, you must know everyone in Hollywood, right? Because sure. you're on well, television. We, we I mean, all know that. Yeah, yeah right? You know, the, anyone. You name a TV personality, assume, you know, you must be hanging out with Regis Philbin all the time. I mean, you must know Kelly Ripper. You must know everyone who <laughs> is on, on the television the same time you are. So that's what it's like. It's like you're kind of like in that world. What about you, Mike? How do you come to this profession that you're in? You're from South Carolina. South Carolina originally. Look at how I said Carolina. Carolina just just came out. You don't have that sound in your voice. You know, I can get it if I have a couple drinks. I think I could. could What about popcorn? Popcorn. Popcorn might work. If there was butter on it. Okay, so it's not going to work. You know, I, I was looking at this profession when I was a kid because at first 
I was into visual arts. I drew stuff, and I thought that was mm -hmm. the, you know that was the best thing since sliced bread. Were you I was drawing like, uh, superheroes. I was drawing the pe people's faces. I was wow. really interested in people's mm -hmm. faces. I would like ask ask people to sit down, and I would try and draw their faces. Like my grandmother, I would try to go into details, and I did that for a long time. And I was looking at art schools, and and I thought that was a great um, you know thing to get into. And then I looked up, and I started studying what painters were successful, and I realized all of them were dead. Like there were no, I couldn't think of any, I couldn't find anyone who was successful in making money alive. So I was like, this was really young. I was like, well, this is not going to work. Okay. i got to find something else to do. Very so, practical very of you practical. at a young I was age. a very practical yeah. kid. And so then I started looking into acting. I thought about it. And I, I, I had no interest in being a child actor because, A, I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to actually make it in Hollywood. I mean, I was in a small town. My mom wasn't going to send me away to, to pursue this dream. Mm -hmm. I was where I was. It wasn't convenient. I didn't know anybody. There was no nepotism to lean on. So I figured this would be something I could do, but I would have to go and go to school for it. And that way I could get myself kind of not only learn the craft, but I could find a platform so someone could see me and maybe I could then um, get some interest. So that's what I did. I, it was a long process. I, I went through middle, middle school thinking about this dream the whole time, high school, and preparing myself. So I could find a college where I could study, and eventually someone would give me an opportunity, and I could get an agent. That was Where'd my whole plan. Where'd you find it? Um, I went to Rutgers. I got a graduate degree from Rutgers and uh, emphasis in acting. Well, that's Mason pretty Gross cool. School of Arts. Yeah, did that conservatory thing. I got out, and I found an agent. Moved out to LA for a year. Bounced back between New York and LA, and eventually you start working, um, or, or you don't. I mean, th to be honest, I mean, I if think you're an actor. There's a lot a, of times you don't. Most times you don't. Yeah. Most. I mean, yeah. like literally, people talk about this, but like three percent of us make a living at this. So mm -hmm. this is a gift. This is a gift. Like it's not something I take for granted. I, I think it's something that, if you're lucky and you can do whatever you want to do with your life and you're happy doing it, then it's no longer a job and you have a career and you kind of you know enjoy it. But most people uh, would talk about movies for a minute. They don't really get their their part in a movie, and it turns out to be Million Dollar Baby. Yeah, the first. And yeah. it's Clint Eastwood, and it wins the Oscars Best Picture. It was what does great, that do to you? Well, you know, for me, it was it kind of it was. Sobering, sobering experience because, again, being the practical guy I am, if you, if you know me, I mean, I, I'm a half-empty, water is half-empty kind of guy. I'm always looking at things like, what does this really mean? So I get this wonderful opportunity in Clint Eastwood. I, I read the script. I remember looking at the script not knowing who was going to be in it at mm -hmm. the time. And I'm like, okay, just the script alone, I called my agent at the time. I said, this is going to win every major award in the, in the Oscars a year before it was released. Really? You and, should be a studio exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. listen, yeah. I got great ideas. Yes, I, I got wow, great ideas. I could, I could see it, yeah. And he's saying to me, really? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, really? And who? And I'm like, um, I know Clint was going to direct it. And I was like, <laughs> who's going to be in it? And I was like, who do I have to kill to get this role? So at the time, Phyllis Hoffman, who was the casting director for Clint Eastwood for like 30 years, uh, God rest her soul, she passed away uh, several years ago, but she was a champion of mine. She really helped me out a lot. She told me this part was, you know, going to be for me, and I was like, whatever. I don't, you know, I don't know what she was talking about. But it turned out that I got the role. Um, the, it went on to do pretty much what I thought it would do. But for me, what happens is you have this great experience early in your career, and you're looking at that going, well, things are not going to be that way all the time. You're not going to get to work with that caliber of Oh, you of were talent. thinking that. I thought you would think, where's Spielberg? No, no, you know, no. Where's no, my next? No, I knew. I knew it was like, because what happens is you do this great job, and then you go, all right, what's next? And you know that there's not the same kind of caliber of work out there, and most times they're going to call you for the same kind of job. And I played a boxer. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anything to do with athletic roles. I didn't want to play the cliche, you know, I'm tall, put some muscle on and play these strong characters. You know, this like I wasn't looking for the stereotypical role. I, I felt like there was 
more interesting things to do out there. So I sat, you know, idle for a couple of years. I did some plays and I did a little thing here and there, but I wasn't passionate about jumping on the train that was presented to me, which was, hey, come in for this role, another boxer, another base, a, a basketball just player. Just the way Hollywood thinks. Just the way, you know, there's no imagination. They look in the magazine and they go, hey, this is, this is how they cast. Mm-hmm. Wow, he looks kind of cool. Call him in. Like, that's their casting. There's no specificity. And I... And I just, I felt like it wasn't for me. If I, if I had done that, I wouldn't have been happy. I might have been working, but I wouldn't have been happy. Yeah. So I, I was patient, and I, I think I got lucky again because I think I almost quit the business. Good Wife came along, and it kind of reinvigorated me, made me feel like, okay, this is a really interesting role. I, I feel like this is something worth doing. It and was a very interesting role, Lamont Bishop, because even though he's a drug kingpin, yeah. what they did on that show with the relationship your character has with his son yeah. is fascinating, and it's far more depth to it. Yeah, I'm just, just this cliche version. Yeah, we, we were exploring. I mean, we were trying to figure out, because I told him, I said, this is, this is a great character, but what I really want to, uh, people to understand is like, people always identify him as a drug pen. For me, as the character, I said, his, his point of view is, that's just one of his many businesses. His portfolio mm-hmm. is very diverse. He has a dry cleaning business. He has a horse stable. He has gyms. He has all these things. And so for him, he doesn't look at it that way. He sends his kids to private school. He sends his, you know, he lives in an affluent neighborhood. And he's just doing everything that everyone else would do. But he has this, you know, image that people, you know, portray of him. Sure, he makes a phone call every now and then and people disappear. But I mean, there are other people who do that all the time, and they're in politics, and nobody gives them a bad name. Nobody says, wow, he's a bad guy because he made someone disappear. You know? Hollywood studio executives used that, to do it, too. They, yeah. They do, yeah, exactly. They used to do that, too. <laughs> right. so, so, now it, they just disappear in ways where you don't see them on Now your screen. career disappears. <laughs> right, it's just gone. You physically disappear before, <laughs> now your right. career disappears. Yeah. But what about your family, Mike? What are, they, are they saying, do this? Or are they saying... What are you doing with your life? It's, I it's was lucky. Dream. I was lucky. I had, I had a family that was very supportive. Um, my mother actually wanted to be an actress when she was younger. She wanted to move out to New York, but her mother got sick, fell ill. She had to come back home to um, South Carolina and take care of her. Her mother passed away. During the time she was here, there, she met my father and kind of, you know, fell in love and, you know, just oh, never, never, moved, never moved away. Mm-hmm. Um, so some ways, vicariously, she's living her dream out through me. Um, she was very supportive. My family always was very supportive. My teachers were supportive. Honestly, I didn't meet anybody who was, you know, against my dream. And it was weird because while that nurturing environment made, made me feel very confident, it also made me have to develop a chip on my shoulder, you know, artificially. I would look for ways to motivate myself because like- otherwise, you know, you kind of fall complacent. I would go into things and I'm going, you know, people are like, oh, you can do this. And then as I got older, I started making up things. I'm like, you know, that person, you know, slighted me. When I came into the room, they didn't know my name. Silly things like that. And then... You're your own devil's oh, advocate. Oh, I had to. I it's had it. to. Like no, everybody else is saying, good. Good, good. Keep it up. And, and I'm you're like, I'll going, show you. I'll show you. I'll I'm going to quit the business. Yeah, I'll I'm show you. I'm not going to do this. I'll fix you. I'm not going to play you these parts me? to do oh, it. Oh, yeah, you believe in me? I'll show you. If you believe in me, I'll show you what's going to really happen. So the villain <laughs> in your life is basically you. It's me. <laughs> it's you. I, it's, it's me. <laughs> it's a bit of schizophrenia. I see you on Luke Cage, and there you are with cotton mouth, you know? And that's so great. What's it like when you're dealing with an actor uh, of that caliber of that you know. caliber to, to do I mean because I'd love the way the office mm-hmm. uh, has that picture of figure with the yeah. crown on and it's just so well you know it's in the writing I feel like I feel like you know Chael Adari Coker the showrunner they, they were really really smart about the casting and also when they were creating characters I was telling Chael I was like you know we're writing you're writing this series it has to be a great ensemble. It has to kind of, everyone has to be well-developed, and we have to have a lot going on, even when Luke Cage is not on the screen. Otherwise, you kind of tune out, and you're kind of waiting for Luke, and it's these dead spaces. Mm-hmm. It needs to be interesting, all these characters. And, and 
And to be quite honest, the protagonist is only as good as the antagonist in some degree because it makes you fear and makes you care about the primary character. You have to feel this kind of connection. So when I'm on screen with someone like Mahershala, who's you know a great actor, and, and you're bouncing off of him and you're, and you're working off of him, it makes the job easier because you, you, you've, as long as you have your point of view and you're working off the other guy, it just raises the stakes that much more. And so it makes my job easier. So I always told everyone who showed up on set, Act like, and I, and I don't think anyone should be telling anyone this, but I, I, I'm making a mistake doing this, but I always tell the other actors, act as if this is your show. I, I, it works, but at the same time, then sometimes I, I suffer later because of it, because then their heads get big. I'm like, wait a minute, no, it's my show. It's my show. It's my show. You have I, to be really clear about it's, that. Yeah, be clear. Yeah. It's, pretend it's your show. But then when, you could have said to Clint Eastwood, you know, this is my movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah listen, right. Clint, I know you're the director, <laughs> but this is this And is the star. And the star. Yeah. But mm-hmm. in this scene... It's my movie. That's, that's, yeah. All right, they're going to pull you away from me now because this is going to happen and then your life's going to change in such fundamental ways. You'll probably just be impossible. You know, get me my colored M&Ms the way I want them. Oh, yeah. Just green. Skittles, no, Skittles. Yeah, oh, Skittles. Well, Skittles, yeah, of no. course it's got to be Skittles to go to the Trump Jr. Yes, to do, to do <laughs> all that. But this show always ends in song. Okay. Just a little bit of something that's in your head. Oh my God, my voice is so tired. Oh, right we don't now. really care. Really, you, you no, don't care. We like tired. Um, we like uh, the, the idea that this is uh, emotional and personal, and not. Uh, How about I say something sad, like you know? Okay. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Only darkness every day. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. In this house, there ain't no home. Anytime she goes away. Is that enough? Nice. Jessica Jones, that was for you. Yeah, that was for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Let's do that. Mike, it's Thank a, you so pl- much, a pleasure. Peter. That pleasure. was great. Okay, that wraps up another edition of the Popcorn with Peter Travers podcast. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can also find Popcorn on Twitter and Facebook at Popcorn ABC News. I also want to thank the people who helped produce this podcast. Angela Williams, Brian Fudge, Josh Cohen, David Fazekas, David Miller, Michael Rothman, Alexa Valiente, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. I'll talk to you next Friday.